Well, good morning. Let me tell you, I'm very tempted this morning to start off this service with just 30 minutes or 30 seconds of silence for a death that we saw play out on TV yesterday as the Minnesota Vikings got completely slaughtered by the San Francisco 49ers. But we won't start that way. We'll start instead with a story, okay? It's a story about a, a pastor whose high school son is having a hard time trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life, what he wants to be. So his father, because he loved his son, devised this little experiment to try to help his son along the way. So while his son was at school one day, his dad went to his room and put four items on his son's desk. He put a Bible, a dollar bill, a flask of whiskey, and an adult magazine. His reasoning was this. That when his son came home, if he picked up the Bible first, that that would mean that he was going to be a pastor just like his father and more proud he could not be. And if he picked up the dollar bill, that meant that he was going to be a businessman and that would be okay. But if he picked up the flask of whiskey, that would mean that he was going to be a drunkard and that would be terrible. And even worse, if he picked up the adult magazine, that would mean he was going to be a womanizer, and that would be a disgrace to the family. So he hears his son come home that afternoon, and he races up to his son's room and hides behind the door to see what his son will pick up first. His son walks over to the desk, picks up the Bible, puts it under his arm, picks up the dollar bill, puts it in his pocket, picks up the flask of whiskey, takes a swig, sits down in the chair, picks up the adult magazine, and starts looking through it. And the father thinks to himself, Lord, have mercy, that boy is going to run for Congress. (laughs) That's truer today than it would have been 10 years ago, right? My point is this. We all have hopes, dreams, aspirations for our children. Uh, We want our children to maybe become certain things, but more important than what my children become is what my children believe, what they know to be true in life. And more than anything else, I want my children to know how deeply loved they are by their father. You know, I think that's one of God's greatest desires as well, that we know how deeply we are loved by him. So last week, we started a series called Your Kingdom Come, where we're kind of looking through the Lord's Prayer. We're going to dissect it kind of bit by bit. And last week, we didn't even get one word into the Lord's Prayer because we had to look at what Jesus said, the things that we had to stop doing when we pray before we start doing these other things when we pray. And Jesus shows us exactly right where we need to start. But before we dive in this morning to where we're going, I'd just like us as a congregation to just recite the Lord's Prayer together, okay? I've got a version up here on the screen, so let's just all say it together, okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen? Now, 
Today, we're not going to get any further than the very first two words, our Father. And the crazy thing, I think, is that we become so familiar with the verbiage of the Lord's Prayer. You know, we've, we've said it in public gatherings like this. We have it posted maybe on our refrigerator or a plaque on our home somewhere that we absolutely forget to see the startling start that Jesus starts this prayer with. Let me tell you why that's so startling, okay? Because the disciples that followed Jesus around never used the term and never heard the term Father used to talk to God. And we can understand it to some extent because if you flip through the pages of the Old Testament, which is all that the disciples would have had, God is only referred to as Father like a, a handful of times. And it was never in a personal, kind of intimate or individual sense. It was just acknowledging that God was the creator, the father of the nation of Israel. But then here comes Jesus and he completely turns everything on its head. Just in Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 through 18, Jesus calls God father ten times. In all four gospels. 170 times, Jesus keeps calling God, Father, 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 Father. You remember the very first words recorded out of Jesus' mouth when he was a little boy? What did he say? Did you not know that I would be about what? My father's business? And right before he breathed his last on the cross, what did he say? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit every time jesus addressed god in prayer he referred to him as father can you do that i mean is that acceptable to refer to the almighty sovereign omnipotent god as father jesus did and he tells us to do the exact same so the first hurdle that you and I need to overcome when it comes to praying biblically and when it comes to praying effectively is this. We need to remember, we are not praying to a power, we are praying to a person. We are not praying to some mystic force, we are praying to a father. A father who desperately wants to hear from his children. A father who is not too high and not so mighty that he doesn't want to hear what his children have to tell him. Let me show you a picture that some of you might remember from years ago. Here's a picture that was published back in the 1960s of President John F. Kennedy, little John Jr. and Carolyn Kennedy dancing. And you know what that room is where they're dancing at? What's that room called? The Oval Office, the most powerful office in all the earth. Do you think just any kid could play in that office? Do you think just any adult could just kind of casually walk into that office? No. Even if you're an adult, you'd have to get background checks. You'd have to be important enough to go in that office. You'd have to have somebody escort you in there. And when they escorted you in, they'd probably say, you got five minutes and then you're out, right? But when you're the president's kid... You have complete access 
to that room and to the father who's in charge of that room. And in that room, those two kids can talk to him like he's a dad and not like he's a title. A few weeks ago, Alicia had Seth come get me because it was time for dinner at our house. So Seth comes into the bedroom where I am, and Seth says to me, Oh, omnipotent creator of our lineage, thou art magnificent in many, many ways. We honor thee who deposits money into our allowance account, and we beseech thee to come join us for dinner. Now, I don't want my son to talk to me like that. I want my wife to talk to me like that, all right? <laughs> it's amazing what you can say when your wife's out of state, you know, the kind of smack you can talk. And the problem is, folks, I feel like some of you, that when you talk to God, you talk to him like he's a title and not like he's your father. Here's what I fear maybe some of you, here's, here's what your approach is to God. Just watch this video. Now, the reason why I show that is because I feel like that's the mindset that so many people have of God, even unfortunately in the church, that God's cold, he's distant, we better shape up when he's coming by because what God wants to do more than anything else is he just wants to let us have it if we get out of line. But I don't believe that image correctly portrays the God of the Bible. I believe the God of the Bible is more like this. That when young Opie comes in from playing outside and he's all sweaty, he looks his father in the eye and he says, hey, Paul, and he crawls up in his lap and he gets a big hug from his father. And I'm very sensitive to the fact this morning that when I use the word father, for some of you I know that does not elicit a lot of warm feelings. Because if I had you to describe your father this morning in a few words, some of you would use the words absent, cruel, negligent, emotionally distant, and maybe abusive. Some of you have spent a good majority of your adult life 
trying to run away from the reputation that your father gave your family name. So here's what I know. When Jesus says that we're supposed to start our prayer by saying, Our Father, it can be really, really hard for some of you just to get out of the gate with that kind of verbiage. Because through your life, what you've done is you've attached this negative experience and negative stereotype of an earthly father to your heavenly father. So as we move forward this morning, I hope that you can just move past this negative image and stop letting some kind of crummy, some small, disappointing idea or image of a human father shape your idea of your heavenly father. Because here's what I know, the way your heavenly father treated you, he gave you the impression that it's not possible to have a stronger, a deeper, or a closer relationship with a father. And I think that's what the cry of the human heart is, that all of us want to know. Can I know God in a deeper way? Can my relationship with God be stronger? Can I be closer with the one who reigns above me? And the answer is... You know how I know that? Because Jesus, who had more right and more authority to speak of who the Father was and the character and the nature of the Father, here's what Jesus said, and Michael talked about it just briefly during communion. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Why, why is that? Because here's what Jesus says. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will, will give him a snake? Which of you, if your son da said, Dad, can I have a bite of that fish? And you said, no, but here's a snake. <laughs> now get away from here. Here's what Jesus says. If you then, though you are evil, though your hearts can bend toward that which is not good, though you have impure motives, though you're not completely good and holy and just and true and righteous like Heavenly Father is, though you're, though you're messed up, Jesus is saying, and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. Jesus is saying something, folks. He's saying that when it comes to prayer, it's all relative. It's all about understanding that we are children of the king. And just like little John Jr. and just like little Carolyn could go into the Oval Office, you and I have complete access to God Almighty as our Father. Now let me be clear about something. Jesus never once insinuated that this was a right for every human being. Let me clarify something that I think has been terribly spread around our world, and it's a misconception that we have about God. 
Because we hear in our world people say things like this. Well, you know, basically all religions are the same because we're all children of God. The Bible never says that every human being is a child of God. We are the creation of God. But here's what the Bible actually says. We read in Ephesians that it says that some people, some human beings, are children of wrath. That they're living their lives in complete rebellion, complete opposition to their creator who wants to be their father. But because they don't know him as father, they are simply going to be the recipients of his wrath. 1 John tells us that some people are children of the devil because they live like hell. They live like hell wants them to live. And they've aligned themselves more with the enemy more than they have God. Let's be clear about something. That term, child of God, is a distinct title that God gifts only on those men and women who acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the only way you get to be called a child of God. That you, as a child of God, are distinguished solely by your relationship with Jesus. Here's where we get that. John 1.11 says here, he, meaning Jesus, listen, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, if you've received him, say amen right now. To those who believed in his name, if you believed in his name, say amen right now. So to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If I'm already born something, I don't need to become something. If by nature of me being born as a flesh and blood human being makes me a child of God, then why would it talk about me becoming a child of God? The answer is obvious, because just by nature of my birth, I'm not a child of God. I'm part of his creation, but I'm not his child. That's something I have to become. And here's what it says here. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Now here's what I hope this morning. My prayer for you this morning is that now that you understand that you have family status with the creator of the universe, that it will greatly affect your prayer life. Might you now pray more boldly? Might you now pray so much more sincerely now that you understand it is the Father's good pleasure to call you, to call me his child? Amen? We've got a rich father. He's adopted us into his family, folks. That should change the way we think. It should change the way we live. It should change the way we pray. This is like prayer 101 kind of stuff. Listen to this affirmed again in Galatians 4, 5. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. Say, I'm free. 
so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Say, I'm adopted. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, say, I'm his child. God has made you his heir. And do you realize how much that would change our prayer life if we believe that I'm a child of God and I'm an heir to everything that God has ever created? And listen to what it says in Romans 8, 15. For the spirit that God has given you does not make you slaves and cause you to be afraid. Instead, the spirit makes you God's children. And by the spirit's power, we cry out to God, Father, my Father. God's Spirit joins Himself to our spirits to declare that we are God's children. Listen, folks. In Christ, in Christ alone, we go from orphans with no hope to heirs with absolutely no fear. See, our problem is not that we think too highly of ourselves. Our problem, my fear, is that we think too cheaply of ourselves as children of God. And so we go about day by day living these puny, scared, cautious lives of discipleship because we're not really sure about the assurance of our future and where we stand. So we live more like slaves who are afraid than children of our Father. And let me tell you something that I think will help clear this up. Our status in God's family is not based upon our feats. It's based on our faith. You did not merit or earn your way into God's family, so you cannot earn demerits that are going to get you kicked out of his family. Here's what we read in Galatians 3.26. For you are all children of God. Say it with me. Through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. When you went under that water, Here's what you were communicating to God, your Father. That you are completely incapable of living up to the holy standard of his law. And you absolutely need the completed work of the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross on your behalf to make you his child. That's what you were admitting. So it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. When I say the name Keith Hernandez, how many of you know who I'm talking about? Professional baseball player, right? Dan, you probably know who Keith Hernandez is, right? Was he a good baseball player? Really good, yeah. Made the all-star team several times, won 11 Golden Glove awards. 
National League MVP one year, won a couple World Series. You know what about Keith Hernandez, though? He had a terrible relationship with his father. In fact, as he was talking to his dad one day, he said to his dad, he says, Dad, I've got a lifetime batting average of 300. What more do you want? And his dad just said to him, he says, yeah, but someday you're going to look back and you're going to say, and you're going to see that you could have done so much more. And that right there, folks, is why I believe so many people in the church are stuck in the shallow waters when it comes to your prayer life. Because in some way, you have bought the lie that your status with God is all wrapped up in whether or not you have proven yourself worthy enough to be called his child. And again, Paul settles this. Ephesians 2.18. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what, say it with me, Christ has done for us. Say it with me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's what he's done. Now, I told you earlier that every time that Jesus prayed, he used the term Father in referring to God. And that's true with one exception. There's one time when Jesus prayed he did not call God Father. He said this instead. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is it in that moment on the cross that Jesus didn't refer to God as Father, as he always consistently referred to God as Father. Why is it that one moment of time he did not acknowledge him as Father? Here's why. Because at that moment, God's relationship with Jesus was not paternal, it was judicial. At that moment, Jesus was hanging as a sin-bearing criminal on the cross, taking in the punishment, the weight, the wrath of every vile sin ever committed by every human being, including you and me. All that to say this. On that one day, in that one moment, Jesus could not call God his father so that someday you and I could. And here's what I know about our father. Scripture says the whole reason why he's delaying his coming, the whole reason why he holds back is because he says, he does not want to see anyone perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants to make you part of his forever family. He wants you to inherit eternal life 
and eternal sonship in the family of God. And here's what Jesus says God is like. Just so we're clear about this. That God is like a father who had a son, and the son's just an arrogant jerk. And the son comes to him one day and says, Father, I'm sick of this place. I'm quite frankly sick of you and working for you. So just give me my inheritance now so I can go off and kind of do my own thing. And the father, surprisingly, writes out a check, gives it to his son. His son goes off to the far country, squanders his money in a matter of just probably a few months, is left with absolutely nothing. He's hit rock bottom. And he's wondering, what do I do now? And he thinks to himself, well, I can't go home because I've so disgraced the name of my father and I've acted in such a terrible way and squandered the wealth that he gave me. There's no way I can go back and show my face at home. But desperate times call for desperate measures. And he decides that home is really the only place he can go. And he thinks to himself, if I go back home and I work my hiney off, Maybe I can earn favor and status on my father's estate, not as his son. I don't dare want to be called his son again because I'd be asking for too much, but maybe he'll just allow me to be a hired servant and help work the land with the other servants. So he makes his way back home. He tucks his tail, and he goes back to the father. What he's not expecting is that his father has been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting since the day the son left for the son to return. And when the father sees his son returning in a spirit of repentance, a son who was once rebellious now to returning in repentance, the father hikes up his robe and starts running down the driveway toward his son. And when he reaches him, he embraces him, he kisses his son's neck. He says, today is a day to throw a party of all parties. And he reestablishes the son back in the place in the family as a child and an heir. Many, many people in this room I've been that son. I've been that son. Those of us who know Christ have been that rebellious, wayward son who made our way back to the Father and said, Father, forgive me, and we were met with open embrace and kisses and given the title child. Some of you have not made that decision. Some of you have not yet come to the Father through the person of Jesus Christ. You're one of two people in this world. You're a child of God or a child of the devil, which means you're a child of wrath. And today, through the truth that you've heard, if you'll allow it to go from here right to here, today you can become a child of God. So in just a few moments, we're going to have some singing We've got a baptism already scheduled for the end of this service. And if this is a day that you want to be washed, you want to be made new, you want to put on Christ, 
and you declare that Christ is the means by which you have access to be called a child of God, then today we welcome you to come at our time of invitation. Just come to one of these two doors on our side, meet me in the back, and we will prepare for you today to enter into the family of God. And I'm going to ask the rest of the church to just join me right now in a word of prayer as we talk to our Father about this, okay? Father, we give you praise for who you are. That you are loving. You're forgiving. You're God whose loving kindness extends to one generation after the other. You are everything that we aspire to be as a father. Good, fair, just, loving, merciful. Ready to extend your hand of help when you see your children in need. And Father, I pray today that if there's that person who came in here today who does not know you as Father, who cannot leave here with confidence saying they are part of the family of God, who they came under here today under the illusion, the fact that just because they're a human being means that they're, they're a child of God. Lord, your word says that's not true. And I pray that the reality of truth will grip their hearts so tightly today that they will not be able to deny the power of your spirit compelling them to come and join your family. We thank you that you are a good, good father who hears the cries of his children. We give this time to you now, Lord, asking you to work in our hearts. Help us to realize, Lord, that we don't have to earn your favor or earn our status, that our status is secured because of the status of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this time that you give us to contemplate these deep truths of our lives that we must take action on. So, Lord, right now we pray that you will move and have your way in our being. This we pray in the name of Christ.